Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Derek Hines' eccentricities are legend. It's practically been a second career for him. A lifelong performance art piece. The crafting of offbeat words and actions that, intentionally or not, have landed Derek his own little beachfront pied a tierre in a neighborhood whose better known residents include John Waters, Howard Hughes, and Bjork. From the Encyclopedia of Surfing, I'm Tyler Brewer in Brooklyn. And I'm Jamie Brewer in London. This is the Sunday Joint, where we roll up Matt Warshaw's weekly newsletter for a deep inhale of surfing's past, present, and future. On this episode, we break from our usual format to give you a fun change of pace with an in-depth interview with the great Derek Hind and his latest project, the Heinlein, 30 boards for 30 years, one a year, his total matrix, 1973 to 2003, from sizes 4 foot 10 to 11 foot 1. What transpires is a fascinating discussion into the genius that is Derek Hind. And of course, we try to out-nerd each other with Stump My Bro. All this on the Sunday Joy. Hiring for a small business is critical. It's imperative that you find a highly qualified professional to treat and grow your business with the same care and detail that you do. LinkedIn Jobs will be your next big unlock. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team fast and for free. Everybody is already on LinkedIn with their resume and their references. So the fact that LinkedIn built a hiring platform to connect the dots between everything is simple genius. It's way more sophisticated than a job board. It's a vast network of more than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set, desire, ambition, 
all in an effort to help us advance our position. And it's easy to use and intuitive. So effective that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Fast hiring solutions means achieving your goals in record time with rapid growth in 2024. LinkedIn Jobs will even help you write the job descriptions and give you tools and prompts to help you interview your candidate like a pro. LinkedIn.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. And you can let the world's largest social network of business professionals work to connect you with the ideal candidate to help you grow your business. That is LinkedIn.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. So, uh, snagged us a little cool little interview, eh? Yeah, it was really good. Really it's, good. It's really. I was so stoked to talk to Derek. Like this is, man. Like you know, he's he's stayed with me, and I've had lots of great conversations. But this was so cool, and I will have to post the video of it too on on YouTube. I'll send it to David because it's so cool. Derek looks like he's in a bunker, man. It's. It's awesome. Uh, just getting to go, get him to open up about these boards is freaking awesome. So uh, I'm pretty excited. Was, uh, was this the first time you've ever had a, a professional interaction with him? Yeah, I think it's the first time I've ever properly interviewed him for anything, you know? So it's it's like, yeah, it's just, oh, just an excuse to fully <laughs> geek out on him is just like, <laughs> it's like a dream come true. It's more so, like geek, geeking out with him. Yeah, totally, totally. So um, maybe we shouldn't just we'll, we'll just let's just go into it. Let let our we you know I hate those other ones where everyone just talks forever before the interview. Let's just get on with it, and uh, we'll reconvene after this interview, and we can kind of discuss. All right, sounds good. All right, enjoy everyone. This is a real gem of an interview. You. So you do say so yourself. No, I do. <laughs> is this the uh, standard office, isn't it? That this, the, this is. I redid it up a little bit, got it all oh, nice I, and organized. Um, I was wondering about that. Yeah, I got... Um, 
you know, I've got the uh, SERP VHSs nice and neat. Oh, and well, look at that. Order. <laughs> got all the magazines over there. Got the quiver now standing up there. So the, well, I call I've it got, the SERP studio. Got, um, I've got license to ask you the following question. Of course. If there's a fire, what do you grab from this room? A file? A fire. A fire. Oh, what board do I grab? Oh. No, no. What anything do you grab from that particular room you're in? <laughs> and you've only got 10 seconds. Okay. In fact, well, you've just in fact, you've just run into the room <laughs> and gone, oh my God, there's smoke in here already. Uh I reckon um maybe could be oh, fuck, maybe strange desires. <laughs> and a uh, photo <laughs> maybe no no wait hold on it's a photo of my dad and my family <laughs> that's a great shot that is a great shot yeah uh, maybe something like that i think that's probably the most probably more valuable <laughs> yeah Tough one. You've had to make that decision, unfortunately, huh? That's right. I guess the, the green. Uh, oh, look yeah. at that thing. <sighs> now, which one, which uh, code about, is that? Yeah, that's the 74. The interesting thing about this board is that I bought it as a... Um, as a 17 year old kid yeah. just because I wanted an all rounder because uh, my beach has small waves, but also a big winter wave. Yeah. Um, and I had a really thick fin and I only really ever saw one board like it, just a big straight swallowtail, but it was glass by Paul Holmes Surfer yes. magazine, Paul Holmes, when he was four tracks magazine as well. And this is the one shaped by Just John Haynes. And John Haynes, yeah. Also, yeah. The interesting thing is, um, I think Paul came out to Australia with that design. Wow, really? Uh, because I've seen one on Alex Williams' uh, post that he does. Yeah. Are you tuned into that? No, I gotta check that out. Um, it's very good. Very good. It's all British surfing history. Oh, I um, love that. An incredibly similar design to this board is there. Oh. And then online I saw one of Jeff McCoy's uh just the other day. Really? Exact template. I'm not saying that who knows, Jeff might have been the original, who knows? But it was for a, a point in time, the perfect all-rounder. I mean, if, if it's good enough for Jeff McCoy to do it, and they all appear to be the same size. Fascinating. How about you, it? So that, that would mean that, like, England probably had a huge effect on board design in some ways then, correct? Well, I'll tell you why. The tide. Yeah. Mm, right. England has massive tides. Arguably the most powerful three to four foot surf on the planet. Yeah. 
the tidal <laughs> surge is outrageous. So you need paddle power yes. and you need to get out of hairy situations with the uh, cliff coming up faster <laughs> than it was an hour ago. Oh I've, my God. I've been in that position. <laughs> Jamie and it I have, have hairy, had a few huh? of those. You're like, wait, what, what happened to the beach? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like surfing uh five different waves in one session sometimes That's so true. so um what we'll do here is i've i've got like questions and all sorts of stuff my brother couldn't join so he gave me some questions on this and then um we're gonna he's gonna listen to this and we're gonna break down our, our conversation also um but so when it comes down to the podcast how yeah. long will the podcast be normally it could vary probably this one will probably need to be like two hours at least <laughs> oh, i thought you said five minutes right see ya good talking yeah. to you bye well but you and i you and i will be like you know probably like an hour my brother and i are gonna elaborate on top of some of this stuff that we discuss you know oh so we're gonna like go get really nerdy on it i think <laughs> nerdy and dirty you know it man we We've been we've been enjoying doing these little Sunday joint podcasts where we just geek out you on know, surf culture. Speaking of nerdy and dirty, yeah. My son on Netflix, Ooh. he's twenty eight now. Yeah. He said, "Dad, do you remember when I was a kid and we're talking about eight or nine years old?" Mm -hmm. That he said there was a a robot game on television, and I went, "I don't want to watch a robot game on television, like a like wrestling." but yeah. robots and and i just didn't get it because i'd forgotten all about it and he went listen i know you got to go out tonight but just uh just check this and it was as good as watching the ufc it <laughs> in fact Kenny florian was the host really and it and the the mit was submitting stuff yes it was heavy the battle it was bots. Hammer and tong. Battle bots where they have like the little hatchets and the, the and they have oh. like the um, the blades that spin out. It yeah. is it's brutal. You almost it's it feels really violent when you watch. <laughs> Talk about nerdy dirty. <laughs> How's and your son crowd, doing, by the way? <laughs> the crowd was just so intense, and and you wonder, I mean. Yeah. Sure, I mean, restrictions have been relaxed, but yeah. these people were going ape shit yeah. from six years old to fifty years old. No masks, yeah. more crowded than a Tokyo train. <laughs> Just incredible. <laughs> anyway. It's funny looking back America. on America. America. Well, it's funny looking back on stuff, and then you're like, "Oh my god, those people are so close together. No mask. This is so weird." <laughs> you know, um, I uh, normally listen to uh, the BBC radio overnight. Mm. You know, it's just it's lolling good. like a, a symphony overnight. Yes. And sometimes you hear stuff. And I happened to wake up and the U.S. ambassador yeah. to Afghanistan was on. Oh, geez. Uh, and he was a very early refugee, I think, to America. Oh, wow. And then uh, fell into a series of fortunate situations and ended up going in very early after 2001, where 
he went to check the lay of the land and discovered what's his name Harman Kazai, the, yeah. uh, the president. Mm-hmm. And he said, "I went into his official palace, I guess." Yeah. And it was so primitive, so already gone to rack and forth world ruin, that he found Kazai in three layers of traditional clothing, one of which was uh, fur underneath, just to stop himself from freezing to death. No idea about how to run an office, let alone run a nation. And the thing is, yeah. That was the way the Americans left Afghanistan with the next president running for his life with all the money. Yeah. Who can blame? It's atrocious that America didn't see this coming. And it's atrocious that they didn't see the logic of Taliban just coming straight through in whichever way they chose. It blows my mind how unprepared they were. And and to me, like, I just think, like, you can't just go in and install a democracy uh, overnight. It doesn't work. It's interesting. In college, in university, I wrote a paper on generational uh, transition theory. I call it for democracy. And that democracy, you can't just instill it overnight on a That's country. That's an excellent paper, by the way. Did you think of that? Yeah, yeah, I just did because I felt like it needs to be taught to people. You need to start locally and regionally. And I know it's weird to to kind of say this, but like you have to have like a bit of a tougher top down rule. But you need to start locally with local elections and teach people how to be civic minded before you can have a democracy. Otherwise, corruption runs rampant and people don't see how democracy works and they take advantage of the system. You know, and it's like I likened it to um, a kid who's been under strict rule from parents their whole lives. And then they go to uni and go nuts and fucking party and go crazy, you know, whereas a kid who's taught from a young age, given responsibility in little bits as they get older, they get to university. They're totally prepared for it. They know how to handle themselves. I, that was uh, like my whole argument. This uh this ambassador was with Karzai until about 2014, right? A long time. <laughs> and he was regarded as the uh, the unofficial president of Afghanistan because he seemed to be able to get things uh, done. Yeah. And um, it came to his attention in 2018 <laughs> that the Taliban, Yeah. I don't know, in about, 2003 or four, yeah, had come to Karzai wanting yeah. to parley. No to way. So, listen, we want to have our little nook, what? and that's all we want. We just don't want to be obliterated willy nilly. We want our families to live good lives. We will kowtow. Oh my god, <laughs> the ambassador said to Karzai. We went to dinner every night and you never told me this. What? That's crazy. (sighs) Man. Oh, yeah, that's worth a sigh, man. That is. Oh, he had. 
Listen, I've got another story about the BBC <laughs> yeah. and Afghanistan, which will <laughs> blow your mind. It's something like, I don't know, 1855. Yeah. Right? And a British soldier mutinies from the East India Company mm-hmm. in uh, either in India or Indonesia mm-hmm. and just goes AWOL. And he goes on the prototypical hippie overland ex- expedition trying to get back to London. <laughs> okay. No so it's, it's a, a century before <laughs> the hippies going through Sri Lanka and stuff. And he's a redhead. He's a redhead, right? Yeah. Oh, so he he really sticks out. (laughs) And he wants to make fame and fortune by finding Alexander the Great's hidden city of Alexandria. And that's another story altogether. But he ends up spending so much time trying to find the lost city that he learns a perfect dialect Wow. And becomes one with the people. And when they finally agree to sell him one coin, because he's found these people with coins. Yeah. Because they didn't think he had any money. Yeah. Apparently he'd absconded with money. (laughs) That he became an archaeologist and discovered a mini gold chest with all these uh, precious stones and all the, it was an old parable because he had all, he was weighted down by so much booty. And now he had to get back to England, but he, he made too much noise. And word got back to the British East India Company oh, that gosh. this mad Englishman parading as a red-headed Afghani was, uh, had sought and found fame and fortune. Because there'd been reports of him all over Afghanistan. And this is when the British and the Russians were at each other's throats because of uh, the north of India and the south of Russia with Afghanistan in the middle. So the the outrageous thing is they've sent their top man in the British East India to to find him. Heart of darkness. So they've tracked him down (laughs) and said, okay, you are going to be either shot or you will be a British spy. Which is it going to be? But it struck up such a rapport with the tribes that he was just completely stuck in the horror of, but what if I do become a spy? I'll lose all the trust. Yeah. So anyway, he became a spy and that was the original sin everything that's happened today oh yeah because all the tribes all of a sudden just went this one man has just obliterated everything wow it's then completely opened the tug of war between russia and uh and britain and the rest is history amazing i love I love history because you you see these fracture points, you know, and you can see the the butterfly effect almost of everything, oh, you know, and you know, and it's it's a 
it's fascinating to see that if, you know, and just to imagine the what if possibilities, if, if the greed had not take taken hold and particularly like the East India company hadn't sent someone, you know, maybe things would have been different, you know, it's just, yeah. I mean, it's well, wild. We kind because, of digress, but you yeah. did mention fracture points yes. and that kind of brings back the uh, object of this conversation. Exactly. There were several fracture points in design history mm -hmm. that led to the standardization yes. of mundane surfcraft. <laughs> One fracture point yeah. is, uh, with the greatest respect, Emma's uh, Twin. incredible fish. Yeah. I mean, the leap from Stinger or the Sting to, uh, to his twin fin was, I mean, I got to see it. It was, yeah. at, in fact, I probably got to experience MR's best ever Bells Beach performance mm -hmm. in a single heat firsthand as the meat in his sandwich, man on man. And I got to see it from me to your way. I got to see him plowing bottom turns over my head. It was the most majestic thing ever. But now he was a big man already. Yeah. He was a big boy. And he had boaty twin fins with nice feet panels where he could just bank to bank to bank to bank as Potts did four yeah. or five years later with tiny versions of the MR20. Um, do you but too many people yeah standardize that as a fracture point mm -hmm. and all of a sudden the companies were pumping out mr style 20s without taking due consideration into every individual surfer's power to weight ratio mm -hmm. well th first i want to unpack that a little bit first we're what was that like seeing MR go onto that twin thing? Was it like someone from the future coming coming back and it seeing that second, type of surfing? It was well, okay. I throw Mark Liddell in there as well. Yeah. As number three. Number two was MR. Yeah. And number one was Simon's first few waves at Bells. Of course. In 81. Like were that people like space. what what are they doing? What it like I, I sometimes fantasize about going back in time to like early 70s or even 60s and what people I try to imagine what people would be like if they saw me surfing on like modern equipment. Like, on, I, always... I, think I think we've all, and that's everybody, yeah, <laughs> fantasize that exact thing, except we're talking getting back to the Stone Age as well, don't forget. Yeah, totally. But then you wouldn't, you, you probably wouldn't live for three minutes. I know. <laughs> there's this, there's this program I watch on YouTube called Weird History, and they go, "What would, would you survive living in this time period? What would be the likelihood be that you would survive?" And <laughs> now, just on that, because uh, it does have bearing. Yeah. Have you had chance to? find out about Torrin Martin's episode three of his Lost Tracks uh, cheapo series of films. I haven't, I haven't watched it yet, no, but I've watched a few of his series. 
I've just done a uh, piece for Surfing World over mm. here in which my premise is that never in 60 years have there been four points of surfing that have gone to four different extremes, mm -hmm. two, in two incredible and two miserable <laughs> within mid-July to mid-August. And, uh, you know, there's Torrin Martin, who I think has uh, dropped uh, 25 years after Litmus and 50 years after Morning of the Earth, yeah. the, the essential film for the era. Yes. And then I, you've I got, uh, and, and this is really funny, but um, I accidentally stumbled across Nathan Florence's Friday the 13th. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know him that well. I don't mm -hmm. really know what he looks like that well. Yeah. So I'm watching a film and here's who looks like a kid staring yeah. into a GoPro <laughs> at 4 a.m. in the morning, just going, well, here we are and everyone's asleep, but uh, we're ready for the big day. And, you know, we've all seen these desperate attempts in the past three years to be famous at Nazare or something yeah. like that. And I'm going, oh, and I almost turned it off. And then he kind of pulled the GoPro away and he got bigger and bigger and bigger. And I went, oh, hang on. He looks like a serious I think that's Nathan Florence. <laughs> <laughs> and what transpired was the most well-shot, uh, dawn-to-dusk, severe surf film that I've ever seen. I mean, it, it's up there with Jack and uh, Laird. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but this was, you knew it was a cheap and nasty film. It was going to be pumped out within a few days, and they did an incredible job. Now, those two films were the meat. The, the white bread was Olympic surfing and the <laughs> ultimate surfer teaser. Oh and has there God. ever been a state of play which is major scratch your head as much as those two things. It's, I think it, to me, it's in some ways kind of progress in the sense that you can have all of these things at one time. You can have this DIY uh, film that by Nathan Florence, that's kind of, you know, it's, it's crudely, you know, I mean, it's insanely shot, but also like done kind of on the cheap in some ways. And then you have Torrin Martin, which is beautifully done, artistic, well shot, music, surfing, everything is composed perfectly. And then you can have the Olympics, which is, you know, I didn't think it was that bad. I, I, I didn't, I didn't dislike it. Uh, you know, point it was of order, point of order on that. Yeah. It's funny how we've been talking about Afghanistan and Russia because <laughs> I'm big on Kazakhstan. Yeah. Because it's got what they call Kazakh wrestling. Yes. And it's I really see. funny when you think about Borat. Yes. He wasn't far wrong. <laughs> I mean, his manager. So it really conjures up thoughts. And Kazakhstan went through Olympic meltdown afterwards because they only got a series of bronze medals, about six of them. They did really yeah. well. Yeah. But I think, I think, uh, Tajikistan or somewhere like that managed to sneak a few silvers in there. So yeah. all of a sudden there's a semi-civil war going on. <laughs> However, I love uh, I love maps. 
I just yeah. really love maps. And uh, I'm aware of this lake, uh, Yeah, which is at risk of becoming like uh, the Aral uh, the Lake of just drying up, oh, but it's shit. still got water in it. But the thing about Lake Balkalsh is that it sits at the eastern edge, close to China, of the greatest steppe in the world, the Great Kazakh Steppe. Mm-hmm. And at particularly particular points in the year, before just before summer and just after summer, they get ferocious non-stop winds. Really? And you know from the Great Lakes that there, there's, there's definitely served. two hours and it is going to produce within yeah. a 40-mile distance. Absolutely. And that is what the colour and the frothiness reminded me of, certainly. Now, <laughs> if it was a masterstroke of the ISA who's been given the IOC accolade, the governing yeah. world governing authority on surfing. Yeah. If they had the, the lateral masterstroke to think the Kazaki, the Kazakhanis are going to love this, then yeah. all power to them. <laughs> I mean, but really. Yeah. And as far as the uh, WSL went, oh, I, um, the ultimate five, surfer. Six years ago, I threw my hands up and I just went, I don't have any style. And I acknowledge that. Style now is non-style. Yes. It's the it's mechanics F- of professional surfing as it sits. So yeah. I'd resiled myself to that for a long time. But then their opportunity, mm-hmm. their opportunity to go to an outer island, uh, an outer small island like Nijima yeah. or Shikoku, for the river mouths. Yeah. And they had a hurricane come through when they could have slam dunked the whole process. They totally could have. I mean, they could have gone to Curran's Point even, you know. Or, or the, uh, what do they call it? The Tetra Block. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, they, they could have, they could have moved it to a place where the waves would have been really good. I mean. Which brings me to Nathan Florence again. Yeah. 2024. And again, that, that was the conclusion I drew. Yeah. For an organization, for both organizations that cannot think a lateral bar of soap between them, <laughs> what are they going to do with their beach break practice sessions mm-hmm. when they know they're walking into a new moon at Chopu if they dare in 2024? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, shouldn't Nathan Florence just stick his little finger up and go, oh, excuse me? but I think things need to change. Yeah. I mean, if they're having it at Chopu, they, how are the, you know, ISA then has to have like events at Chopu or pipe or somewhere that uh, it prepares the surfers for that wave. You can't take, you know, uh, you know, uh, I know no offense to like Hiroto Hara or whatever. who's a phenomenal surfer, but like, he's not going to perform like a Nathan Florence at Chopu or something like that, you know? And it's, it's definitely to me like it makes no sense. I think it makes no well, sense. Well, think about it. Do, think about it a notch further on. Yeah, you've got you've got uh, roughly a hundred and thirty years of Olympic history. Yeah, you've got maybe maybe ten athletes remembered through 
the whole period of which right. Usain Bolt arguably yeah. will be remembered as the greatest. Yeah. Now, you've got 2024 and you've got Olympic surfing at Shidehara Beach, if that's how you pronounce it. <laughs> it was always going to be so bad, yeah. the conditions. No one was going to remember it other than being low-grade floor gymnastics. Yeah. I mean, yeah. if Simone Biles watched it, yeah, she would have thought, oh, yeah, a couple of years, I could do that. Yeah, yeah. Now, what I'm getting at is you select Nathan Florence, you select demons yeah. from the main countries, you put them out there, the new moon swell comes. For the first time, um, I mean, Tony Hawk could only dream of the potential yeah. of being either a rival to Usain Bolt or a head of Usain Bolt in Olympic memory Yeah. after just one day of surfing. Yeah. I mean, how about it? That's what they're faced with. Do they, are they soft or, or, or do they go? That's, I mean, that, can you imagine like um, one of those code red swells if they had to tow, you know, like, God, like, well, that's, the ratings that's the best would be thing through about the That's the best thing about Nathan's day in the life. Yeah. I mean, it's just a classic Wayne Lynch, Jack McCoy triumph. But the way he came in for more Sultanas and then went back out again, towing yeah. in the bigger afternoon. What, um, have you watched The Ultimate Surfer? Only the teaser. That was enough. When <laughs> I brought out it. Spin the Bottle, I found the, the straight versus LBGTQ undertone. Yeah. For adults. Yeah. Absolute trash audience bait. Yeah. Well, it, 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 it's that, appealing that to the magic bullet. That was it. It's appealing to bachelor, bachelorette viewers, you know, trying to get them interested in surfing, which is not the demographic you really want, you know? Well, by name, by name, you've got yeah. ultimate surface. So, yeah. you know, the deal with ultimate fighter is blatant. Yeah. But, uh, man, as soon as I saw that teaser, I just thought the main guy pulling the strings is not no a surfer yeah exactly exactly and kelly slater just i mean why should we be surprised i mean he was on baywatch but <laughs> it's like yeah, i like him on baywatch no i know but you know what i mean like he's willing to put his name into these things you know that you know don't always reflect surfing in the best light oh that was my sign yeah. <laughs> so let's get to Heinlein, which is far more interesting and far cooler anyway. God, like, let's, can we, I'm just going to read off what you have on, on your site real quick here. Um, come 4-3-21, you're humbly invited on a long journey home. Available to those interested, my career on fins as surfed. 30 boards for 30 years, one a year. My total matrix, Newport to Bells to Hawaii to decades at J-Bay. The period 1973 to 2003, limited edition, 10 routes, 10 routes boards per design year as well as variations. 
410 to 11.1, all the gears, dimensions, profiles, rails, weights, and especially rockers. Rockers need consistency. I've ridden too many butchered boards. The rockers are thus machined. I take three hours min a board shaping. All boards come out the same mid-north coast cottage, glass finished at Sugar Glide. This is real period retro, bloody close to the mark. No hybrid bullshit. If you're into that trip, get set. The litmus quiver 9197 is only part of the spectrum. So first, uh, where, how did you come up with this concept? Like, what were you thinking uh, when this whole, when you started to, when this whole idea started to gel for you? Uh, at Byron Bay, the pass has had a sensational best ever bank for uh 14 months now mm-hmm. no 16 months right it's not going away and there have been days when i've wondered uh could my pre-friction boards have done a better job in a particular situation um where for example i needed to slow down mm-hmm because the lip was two feet thick and, uh, and with a hundred people in front of me, I uh, was going too fast and had to <laughs> do a, uh, a grind off someone's rail backwards just to cut back, <laughs> which has happened. <laughs> and it's a lot of fun. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. But there, there, there have been instances where um, I've thought about specific boards and um, I've thought about litmus and mm. specific days at Jeffrey's when the boards I rode were completely on. Yeah. Um, it's, it's been 16 years on uh, free friction boards, um, nothing else. And, uh, and I've figured justifiably that back in the day when you were through with a board, you either unsold it to a Grom yeah. or you swapped it with your board maker. Right. And, and that's the secret why there are so few uh, parish team boards around. Yeah. No one escaped Hawaii with a parish. <laughs> I think Paul Nielsen was the only guy who escaped with a parish <laughs> without having to give it back. So you get rid of a board you never see it again yeah. you don't get a chance to uh put it through all its paces with all of these boards up until about uh 84 i didn't get chance to put um put them through their entire paces except maybe for uh, what's going to be code 78 which uh i wrote in small surf and uh and pretty solid, rocky, and off the wall. Right. By this time, when it was old, and my uh, pro board, the uh, Code 80 that was built by Ronnie Woodward, uh, which was just a phenomenal 510 all rounder. And Ronnie's bloody interesting because uh, he was called Magic Hands by uh, yes. Terry Fitzgerald. And um, when I saw Sonny, Sonny Garcia, uh, nineteen ninety in 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 Europe, right? He had the magic well, board. You put he put. I remember Ronnie reading. Woodward. Yeah, Ronnie Woodward and Sonny was putting on a lot of weight 
and uh, he was building, make, he was writing boards that were wafers for him. Mm-hmm. And I begged the gentleman because, man, what a gentleman when he's like Johnny Boy. Yeah. Johnny Boy is a fucking gentleman. Yeah. But he doesn't like people knowing. <laughs> but anyway, Sonny, Sonny. Um, Although Jody Cooper would have something to say about that. <laughs> yeah, but that's that's when he wasn't feeling like being yeah. a gentleman. Yeah. One of the worst great quotes of all time. Oh, my God. You want to speak like a man? Mm. At any rate, yeah. um, Jody, poor girl. She's been the victim of such hideous male abuse. Yeah. We do digress, though, because with Sonny, I uh, begged him for weeks to get Ronnie to build him a board that, or two boards that would guarantee him, you know, 30% improvement. And it was instant. I remember seeing him on the first wave. And uh, it reminded me exactly of the uh, first moment I ever saw Sonny, which was, I think, in 86 at mm-hmm. the Burley contest where he came third. Yeah. And, man, I, I wrote that was it was like watching Muhammad Ali on, <laughs> on a surfboard. Yeah. And all of a sudden, Sonny was there as well. And apparently he did the same for uh, Tom Curran. And, uh, but he doesn't bang on about that. Really? He's in about 93. Interesting. Yeah, but at any rate, the need to revisit boards while I still can. Yeah. And uh, 30 boards, you know, at least that's going to be at least uh, 10 years of pure fun for me. Knock on wood. Thank you. Now, are you doing the shaping? When did you start shaping? That's that's what I, have you always shaped? And because it, it it's at least as far as I know, I've never read anything about you shaping boards. And so, yeah, I did. But I didn't. I was just in with Fitzy all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in with Des Sawyer in Jeffrey's Bay all the right. time. And the way that. Des uh, pulled his blanks once the rockers were put in mm-hmm. on his uh, his homegrown machine. Mm-hmm. Um, it just became a matter of touch. And I love mowing lawns. <laughs> Something meditative really, about it, isn't it? It's really, and, and I'm good with figures and yeah. I love counting. Mm-hmm. So, so counting it's your probably strokes. the only piece of regimentation I like about surfing. Just <laughs> counting the walks up, walks back, and thinking about the pressure, walking up, walking back, and not being able to talk to people when you do that walking up and walking back. Mm. That does sound... But, I'm going to start it is, doing that. Uh, it is... Um, cathartic for me in the sense of feeling like I needed to pay far more homage to my shapers, not necessarily when they were in building boards for me, but say when any shaper would go to Japan and knock out a hundred in a bloody week. 
Oh, I know. Just in the days when nothing could be even remotely machined, it, it just beggars belief how they could go through that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, let me ask you then, how do some of the shapers feel about you replicating those boards? Do they, has anyone tried to say, ask you for a commission or a piece of it because it's a certain design based off of something they shaped? Have you discussed with them the shapes? Um, just kind of curious, like what their thoughts are on it. hundred aboard. Really? That's yeah, amazing. Yeah. Amazing. And they're, what were they like when you brought this concept to them? They grateful the hasn't been brought to them. Oh, yes. <laughs> They're just getting paid. They they haven't discussed. You haven't discussed it with anyone, not even Terry. Um, Terry, uh, it's funny, but I'm 800 kilometers away from Fitzy, my yeah. glorious leader. <laughs> uh, this is a personal. This is a personal yeah. voyage, and if other people want to hop on yeah they can now if i was pumping out boards without commission yeah uh, i'd be crucified yeah for instance the code 73 the first board is a tiny little board built as a flat bottom narrow thick knee board back in the day yeah that happened to go extremely well and but this uh, is the barry bennett yeah, and Russell Head was yeah. the shaper, who's a legendary shaper. Mm -hmm. uh, I've only met the man once about 20 years ago. But, yeah, it, it's, it's going to be a total pleasure just to uh, rock up and, you know, what's this for? I can imagine <laughs> Sid Abruzzi just going, forget about it. Forget about it. <laughs> forget about it. And just walk out. Are you, now are these these dims are coming from your memory, correct? Like, do you have certain templates? Do you have anything to reference, or is it all just on feel and and your internal gut? I have about seventy percent of the boards, whether found and brought back, wow, or in perfect profile in uh, magazines. Mm -hmm. But um, it's the darndest thing, Tyler, because, I mean, I'm no master shaper by any, any means. But when I put my hands on the rail of a particular model, I'm back in time. Yeah. Because they're different rails. And I can remember the board. Yeah. As I'm shaping it down. It's, uh, you know, there's, there's a, there's more than theory that the gut gets the feeling before the brain does. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's scientifically true. Absolutely. And, and, uh, and then I've, my fingers are kind of wanting to, well, 
for instance, uh, we've done the, uh, uh, we are, uh, 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 the chap that you uh, briefly met before, Troy. Yeah. Um, it's his son who's out of high school. Mm-hmm. And uh, Troy suggested that, uh, Troy Ganger suggested that uh, his son, Tom, might like to uh, do a bit of web design yeah. and also uh, do a bit of admin just in his gap year. Nice. So um, that plays as much of a role in uh, doing this whole thing as wanting to step back in time and revisit elements that I may have missed just because of having to give boards back all the time. Not boards didn't break very often back then. No. So no, it, it became as bad as, you know, losing a girlfriend. There it goes. <laughs> Especially with no leashes early on. Oh, well, uh, the board over here. Yeah. That's code, the one with the inlay. Yeah. That's, uh, that's code 76. And Cole Smith. Anyway, it's a swallowtail. Yeah. Now, the leash took off one of the swallows mm-hmm. in about late 77, <laughs> and I continued to ride it without that one swallow, and it went unreal because I got used to it so much anyway. Yeah. But I kept that swallow, that little swallow, knowing that one day it would be invaluable because that little half a swallow Mm-hmm. Already had deep concave in it. Mm-hmm. Incredible. <laughs> and then I had the house fire gone. <sighs> and it's funny, you remember things, it's been two years after, and you remember the most minute things in the middle of the night, and it wakes you up. And you go, oh, no, not that as well. Yeah. Incredible, huh? Do you but think I was talking that... to Dick Hall today. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, you know, we're talking about the strangest thing. Oh, yeah, he wanted to give me tracks magazines because he had a few copies, of vintage ones. Oh, wow. oh, no, I don't really need them. And then it got on to, yeah, yeah, I had that conversation with George. And he said, yeah, George uh, doesn't have much uh, care to keep that much anyway because he's, uh, shall we say, getting quite fatalistic about why the need. Yeah. Yeah. But you do miss things. You do. Do you think the, can I ask, like the fire, um, do you think that's played into some of this, this project as well? Do you think it had a bit of an influence? Oh, I lost Hank Warner's um, code 85 in that Mm -hmm. fire. (laughs) There we go. We're in a bit of trouble. We're in trouble. Troy's girlfriend is upset. Hanging on the wall. Oh, geez. Sort of like Frankie Oberholzer's dad. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, we'll whisper a bit more. I'll get closer. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, the code, the code 85, um, a six, no, a six. A six, yeah. yeah, a six nine, yeah, um, double ended round pin, 
mm-hmm. magnificent boxy rails, beautiful flat back rocker. I loved it so much. And then Gerlach got on it about, I don't know, seven years after it was dead <clears throat> and just went, best semi-gun I've ever ridden. It's a bit like when Curran in Searching for Tom Curran yeah. is writing all these bloody boards and they're mostly my boards all dead already. Yeah. You know, the Pukas 610 four-fin, mm-hmm. narrow, thin, with Glenn Winton-type raked fins. <laughs> um, Bruce McKee, the uh, inventor of the four-fin, yeah. he never built a board like it again. Uh, at any rate, that board survives in uh, yeah. Jeffrey's Bay. That's a lucky thing. A lot of yeah. them stayed in Jeffrey's Bay, but uh, I was in such shock during the fire. Yeah. Because uh, the reason why I asked you what would you grab yeah. if there was a fire in your room? Yeah. I had that thing happen because now it's in total darkness. Yeah. And what do you do? You got ten seconds. So I had boxes, and I grabbed the one box that I knew by feel and I just carried it as far as I could. And it wasn't until two hours later mm-hmm. that I just thought, Oh, I had 25 surfboards lined up around the back of the house. <sighs> oh, and you know, when boards go up. Yeah. that's. <sighs> but the one that uh, really, really hurt was, um, uh, a cut down hollow chambered balsa free friction built by Justin Bullock. Uh, Magnificent. I mean, so fast, such a momentum generator. Yeah. Uh, Roundhouse cutbacks way out on the flats that would pick up speed on the way back down. Hmm. Yeah, that it is like losing a pet, but well, shit, we did lose a pet. Christ, man, yeah, that anyway. Let's get back to it. So, Um, let me ask you this Are you testing any of these boards? Yeah, but not so you're riding fins, fin boards, then not yet, not yet. Okay, I'm waiting. You see, we've had. The bank is still there, but we've had one month of um, dodgy surf. The bank at Byron is so good that it only breaks when it's, say, above two feet. Yeah. Elseways, it's like the best super bank that just flops with the wrong direction swell. Mm -hmm. I'd probably take old Byron back in a heartbeat because you can uh, have the best trim sessions just on six-inch waves, four-inch waves. You can be stood pry. Yeah. You can be draining yeah. the, the greatest wave on the planet at one inch. <laughs> it doesn't get better, does it? No. You know, sometimes, you know, I just had a recent session where it was maybe knee to thigh high, and it was just this really nice novelty left that I can't discuss that you actually, that I haven't taken you to, and it's just popped oh. up, and it was just so fun. And I was on my Josh Hall twin keel, which is a, a, a version of a skip fry basically, and just peeling perfectly. 
And they were about five or six groms, all maybe around 10 years old, super stoked, so mm. polite. And it was like one of the most rejuvenating surfs I've had in a long time. Just one, like being out in the lineup with these kids and the, the groms are like, what's the biggest wave you've ever surfed? And like, just being really curious and, and, you know, not cynical and really sweet. And then having these really fun little peelers The novelty waves are, are the best sometimes. Well, getting back to the pro tour. Yeah. PT gets bagged a hell of a lot for uh, never winning an event, et cetera, et cetera. But the yeah. event that he did win. Yeah. Was in very, very tiny Japanese surf. <laughs> and the bastard went up a river trimming on one of them. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and I remember looking at it thinking that is the best surfer on the planet <laughs> right there. <laughs> I mean, at the time, that's what I thought. So, so when do you, so you're waiting on the right swell to, to get back on these boards with Finn. Yeah. I have five is, lined up and, um, is he going to be and documented? I'm certainly, I'm, I'm certainly going to come down in uh, length, big time, in order to get on these uh, finned boards. Yeah, I'll probably film the comedy show. <laughs> I don't know if it's going to feel like an anchor, but uh, we'll see. You know, it's um, like riding a bike, maybe. Well, I hope not, because I hope. Or give you a new feel. That's it. That's what I was trying to get at. You know what I miss about bicycles? Yeah. It's that uh, locked back wheel with no gears. Yeah. Where you can just jam the back. Fixie almost, yeah. Without worrying about the handle gears or anything yes. like that. Yes. I want to get back on that too. I, I feel mm. like that was so much more enjoyable to be able to do skid outs with that. Yeah. Yeah, that, that might be the feeling though. Well, you know, it's like when you go away from something, it may just give you that new sensation. And also, I imagine because your body type is different from when Big, you were younger in some ways. Massively it, muscular. Yeah, of course, huge, yeah. like, you know, jacked up. And <laughs> you know, once I was at a French barbecue when Laird Hamilton walked in. Yeah. It was at Francois Payot's uh, farm. Oh. And, um, and I watched the girl's reaction at Laird walking in, in prime yeah. time. And he may have been admired a little bit more than me. Yeah. <laughs> just a little bit, bit though. Yeah, but he doesn't have the charm. Doesn't have the charm. That's the thing. Sure is something about uh, seeing 20 beautiful French women just suddenly drop their drinks and start fighting each other. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean... So that that might be interesting, though, with you taking these boards with a new body perspective, new technique perspective, because you've been riding, you know, uh, fr friction free. I mean, it's um, it's all might might feel so new to you. Well, it probably will. I mean, yeah. uh, uh, there's only one maneuver that I had to stop doing because it kept doing my knees in. Yeah. And uh, and that's the uh, layback snap. The layback snap and the layback tube. Can you do the well, layback? I was going tube? the backhand layback. Yeah. No, not no. That's all right because yeah. 
the foam ball hits you on the back and lifts ah. you up so you can control it. <laughs> it's funny. You say shit like that and it's, it sounds like you're Glenn Winton or something. <laughs> just doing really strange stuff. <laughs> God, he was a good surfer the way he could just throw in five, seven fins before, say, a, a quarterfinal at Burley oh, of the Stubbies. Was, oh, I know. He was amazing. What hope? What results are you hoping to come by this process? Oh, and and yeah, yeah, I've just been reminded that I need to get back on the soul arch. Oh, of course. I mean, well, I mean, after so many people have copied you over the past, <laughs> no, 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 I copied Fitzy. Don't forget. <laughs> well, of course, yeah, but uh, <laughs> you know, but you know, yeah. actually, actually, on my uh, screensaver. Yeah. The shot I've got at the moment is of Steve Wilkins' water shot of uh, Fitzy at Sunset that was the Hang 10 International poster. Yes. It is the greatest style shot of all time. He's just doing a monster fade on one of his edge guns, and mm. Wilkins is way out the back, and he shot it. Oh, God, it's a shot. Style for miles. Style. It's, it's yeah. not rocket science, is it? What happened? What kind of is though? It kind of is though. I mean, that's the thing. Like, especially when you watch the WSL, it's it's all maneuvers and and it's very athletic. You know, it's very athletic. It's not like I feel. Well, a rubber band is athletic. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's it's gymnastics to a certain extent, even though gymnastics. Low grades gymnastics. Yeah, exactly. Where I, but I also think what's great about surfing now is the fact that there's room for all of that. Cause then you have someone like Torn Martin, you have Mikey February and those people are able to, you know, attract a lot of people too. So I, I think what's great about now is the fact that you can have both of those exist coexist at the same time. And maybe the WSL. No, 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 no. no you sorry. don't think so? There's surfing and there's ultimate surfing. <laughs> and that, that is the corner I mean, it was a one-way street anyway for yeah. about three or four years. Yeah. There was no lateral thought. They axed style from the criteria. Yeah. Speed, power, flow. They're searching for a silver bullet. They've made it public. And this is their play. Yeah. It's almost it's... like you've walked into Deadwood yeah. with a hundred bucks. And all of a sudden you've got nothing left with a, a six gun being pointed at your head. But maybe I'm just joshing. Maybe. <laughs> All right. Um, no, what... sorry. I'm really wound up about it. I know. To, to tell you the truth, yeah. when I heard the, the word, the, the, the term ultimate, ultimate surfer, yeah, I thought it was deter to determine the world champion. And I thought, oh, my goodness, this could work. Yeah. If they put those five people in an ultimate fighter type situation yes where they're trapped like it or lump it how how great well what i i wish what they could have done is locked them they could have put them in in the surf ranch still uh but what would have been cool is been like okay you top five you have to shape your own board you have to do this you have to you know, ride these boards and you're going to be judged on all these things. And that would be fascinating. That well, would be really know. cool. Cause then that could really, that, that would be full of lawsuits. Yeah. 
<laughs> anyway, we better run through this uh, a little bit. Quicker yeah, yeah, yeah because, sorry. Um, okay. Time could be escaping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's your What's your contention to ri- easy riding boards? What do you mean? You 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 you've uh, expressed that boards are too easy to ride these days, and that these boards that you're making are not easy. There's nothing you know, uh, modern put into them to make them feel easy or to make you feel good about yourself. What my brother was curious, like what your contention is with riding these easy, uh, having like easy riding boards. Well, you know, I saw that, um, I read the book and then I saw the black and white film, Old Man yeah. and the Sea. Yeah. The Hemingway. And as a young guy, that left me with an extraordinary uh, impression. Mm-hmm. That mixed with Terry Fitzgerald's theory of why would you ever want an easy situation in a critical way when to make it on an easy board, you've done nothing. Yeah. But to make it on a very edgy board, you've done something that you'll remember forever, whether wiping out or mm-hmm. not wiping out. Mm. And with the and with man against nature, as it, as with Hemingway, you are not meant to just throw one over nature and drag it to shore in any situation. Uh, Pioneer days, Fred Van Dyke, uh, Punahou College, uh, he's only got 50 minutes until dark some days and he just lets his mind go into the alpha state Mm -hmm. where he can feel any set that's about to come over the horizon, knowing that he's going to go deeper for that last ride and it's up to him to come through a difficult situation and get home for dinner. Mm. You can't just dial surfing in like it's a computer game. It right. is not cricket. I love that. And it's true. You know, when I, when I do a turn on my long fish or, or one of my hard edge boards, that turn does stick out so much more than like on, if I ride like a performance shortboard, even, you know, it's, there's something to that bite, that feel, that acceleration and feel missed that mystified feeling of like, holy shit, I just pulled that off. As opposed to. It's no different to a swooping gannet pulling a long arc in coming back around for another wave. Yeah. The draw is, uh, is is soul fulfilling the draw of pulling a good turn mm-hmm. um, i better just throw in a blurb about yeah. uh, the few boards that are left in uh the first five numbers which is yeah. code 73 to code 70 i uh, have a whole thing seven. here on this yes yeah just check out check let's out let's, let's go to line. code 73 yep now, now this one here you the board you the one you remember most from seven three is pastel colored and you took this on a memorable trip to crescent with some school pals right tell me about this board what is it what is it about this board what do you what feelings do you get with this um locked in dependability Mm -hmm. locked in dependability whether it's uh just a long wall or a tube where a big long fin is needed just to sit in there and come out. Mm-hmm. And also back then, ride a long wave on a small board and you're going to have dialed in that board completely by the end of the wave. Right. 
It's funny that, isn't it? So, so when if now, someone buys this board, what are they? What are they going to feel? What a what what's going to stick out to them? Okay. Uh, the bulk of the uh, bulk of the rail line, mm-hmm. the cut through the water, um, the snap stall, mm-hmm. which is a lost uh, bit of uh, surfing that really remains the domain of Shane Horan. Yes, you know, wow, that uh, I love wing. his snap stalls. Yeah. Oh, gee. What a point in time, 77, 76 to 78. Um, backhand, incredible little hooks backhand. The book end of the Hindline saga ends with a, uh, a very small epoxy version of that first 5-3. Uh, oh, I love the a, symmetry. Uh, 410. Yeah. Um, I love the symmetry. And... Uh, this the, the epoxy in 2003 um i rode that into the ground built by rod hocker who sadly has uh, left the planet mm. but uh lightweight much thicker than normal uh very tight hooks particularly on the backhand love it uh, and it still lives so i'm really looking forward to getting back into that board next code 74 this yeah, that's what I was telling you about. That yes. um, may have come from uh, Cornwall originally. The design. No, I, I was reading. There's, if anything, it was borrowed by Brewer Mini Spear, used by Reno, and then it was originally built by Rarick. Is this the one that I thought I saw on the website? Uh, oh, I've got the wrong one. Yeah, Code Seventy Five is the uh, the John Haynes. Code Seventy Five is yeah. the longest seven three. This board, now this 74 is fascinating because you then put wings on it. Yeah, keels on it, yeah. Side keels. The side keels, like, I thought that was so cool. And I've only- The reason for it is for a grommet, ultra necessary. The Bonza was just so expensive by 20 bucks. Yeah. Which is the equivalent of a lot of money these days. Yeah. That there was- uh, the desire to change up a, uh, a really nice backyard board and give it new life. And uh, this is what it did, except for uh, a few injuries, um, <laughs> getting used to the back of my ankle. Now, I thought I saw Skip Fry had done something like this too. Yeah, they go straight out. Yeah, okay. Yeah, they go straight out. Uh, really, I'm curious like, why oh, surfers sorry, have not sorry. experimented more with this. Uh, well, that's that's quite easy. The standardization of fantastic boards. Yeah. And then you get to MR and, uh, and uh, Simon. I would love to see this. Would you ever consider applying that to like one of your, your, your friction-free boards? No, never. Never. Okay. Defeats the purpose. Fair enough. Um, what was I going to say? Uh, must have been a lie. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, the the interesting thing about the Code seventy four yeah. is that it was progression up in size as I got older because of mm-hmm. the different types of waves on Sydney's northern beaches, and yeah. um, and that board with the uh, with the side keels. Mm-hmm. Um, it did give me a feel feeling of 
being on a hydroplane, but in a minor sense. And don't forget, this was still the space age. Yeah. You know, the bonza was definitely space age stuff. Yes. So you wanted to open your eyes and uh, try something different. It was that period where everyone was throwing everything at the kit, but the kitchen sink at surfboards, it feels like. Yeah, and from 68 to 74, no design lasted, with the exception of the Bonza, for more than six months. It's so Everything wild. has been changed up constantly. I feel like there could be a lot of multiverses that sprung out from that time period. You know, you... Well, when was Stephen Hawking born? I don't remember what, like, probably... Maybe he thought about that. Surfboard design. Multiverse. Well, you, well, you say this like you, there's this one thing you once said. It, it would be interesting for surfers to go back down the tree in surfboard evolution to see where it might branch off to this time. What are some of the key junctions, the fracture points that I mentioned, and think people might go back to where and imagine where it would take us. Like, you know, I'm a big Marvel fan, and there's this whole thing of multiverses and seeing how the offshoots and what surfing could look like today had we gone down a different path had everyone standardized the bonzer even kind of curious what surfing would look like today and where it would be i'm kind of curious to know where surfing would be today if malcolm and uh duncan had uh actually got the deal they sought when the uh when the five fin bonzer was given out to license but was meant mm-hmm. to be a uh, true reflection of the bottom curve really that wasn't yeah what happened and, there? Uh, Do you mind? Basically, uh, ba- basically the uh, the bonds at bottom yeah. ended up with three fins on it instead of five. Wow. And and that brings me to I think code eighty eight or eighty nine, which was the first small wave five fin that uh, Malcolm built, and uh, and uh, certainly that's the best board I've ever ridden at Jeffries. Wow. Very, very soft rails. It would be very soft at rails Jeffries too. Just letting the fins do the talking. Mm-hmm. Would he, I mean, God, like Gary Elkerton, clear, you know, cold water classic. That was some of the best surfing I think oh, I've yeah. ever seen from him. And he was on a bonzer. You know, I don't I know why know. he didn't stick know. with that. I can't remember him being on the bonzer. No doubt he was. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, I don't know why he didn't stick with that. Cause that looked amazing. I mean, in smaller surf, I can understand, but when the waves got serious, he should have stayed on that. I would love to see you him know, return maybe, to that. Maybe it's got something to do with respectfully mm-hmm. too many fingers in the pie, similar mm-hmm. to ultimate surfer. Right. Why not keep it simple? Keep it simple, you know? stupid. that's what they say uh kiss but isn't it amazing that some surfers demand the slightly bigger board that allows that draw to take place well that's what am i what i'm seeing now actually is a bit of a return to length with certain surfers uh creed mctaggart taking out the dahlberg six eight recently and his surfing just looks so pure and beautiful. And that longer well, it's a rail good size, line, isn't it? I'm pretty it, sure Oki's uh, Super Skins board was a 6'8". Exactly. You know, Dahlberg. and it, well, I just think a lot of surfers would benefit. I think Felipe 
Toledo would benefit from a longer rail line. I think some of the surfers on tour, their surfing would look nicer and be more, more aesthetically pleasing had they draw have a bit more rail line in the board. Personally. He's being hard done by Filippi. He's being very hard done by, by uh, the scores he's been getting. Yeah. Oh, totally. They don't factor in. They can't see it. They that's cannot because, see what he's doing. That's now, because he doesn't have the longer rail line. Mexican, South African kid, Sebastian Williams. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, the, 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 the son of the, the old head judge, Tim Williams, mm-hmm. I saw him at Jeffrey's when he was 16, pull such a subtle, subtle move from the water mm-hmm. that I said to him, you know, there's no chance ever that the judges would be able to see what you just did yeah. in that fractional correction. But I just went, it was as good as it gets. It was like current. <laughs> um, now, getting back to the quiver here that we have, uh, now we're at Code 75, the Joe Haynes, John Haynes, which you called the toy gun. And yeah. I love how you describe this on your site, you know, the, the Big Dipper, like feeling like the Big Dipper at Luna Park, like just. Well, throwing, you had, throwing your arms up like an idiot, but oh. let's be an idiot. But that's like the best part of surfing sometimes. It's just yeah. throwing your arms up like an idiot and feeling like imagining yourself on a very big, serious wave when, when you're young, particularly. You well, know? speaking about big, serious waves, at that um, wave that I really wanted the board built for, Yeah, uh, one of my best friends couldn't stop talking. He was always talking. And uh, so I engaged him in conversation and I was like, me to you, you're looking at me. Yeah. But I'm looking to the horizon. He's just looking inshore to me, yeah. about a meter away from me. And a huge wave comes, and it's like a mini wire mare. Yes. And, and it was the first wave of the set. And I just kept talking, knowing that I was going to get obliterated, but that he was just going to get smashed. <laughs> and it happened on his back. A lot of fun. <laughs> and this is also a board you rode at the TSM Coca Cola Butlers. Butler's surf about. Well, well no, 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 no. That that was only an amateur contest when I came last okay. or fifth or last in a heat. But I felt great because Cole Smith was in the heat. Exactly. You know, and, and I thought that was as far as it was ever going to go. And I wrote it down. You know, fifth place, Cole Smith first. Stoked. Um, the thing was, and I remember, um, I got uh, five judges. I got four sixths and a fifth. And I felt so great that someone had given me a fifth. It was a victory. <laughs> How old were you? Yeah, no, I was a late developer. I was already uh, 17 and a half. Still, as a 17 year old, I'd be stoked. You know, and when it comes down to it, the big step up was coming down to uh, the code 76 over here. The Yeah, the Cole Smith. The inlay, that, that was, that was, that was the step up to magic time. And from there, Fitzy saw me and uh, went, get yeah. down to the factory. That's an order. So let's talk about this board real quick again. Like, I love this Cole Smith. The, the, the look of it is insane. And that con- what, what's going on with the concave on that? Because that, that was what you were talking about with the broke off, you know, uh, yeah, well, wing base. Well, the concave, the concave um, comes from uh, Glenn Ritchie and Mitchell Ray. Uh, outer island type stuff and uh, I wanted a board that combined the setback fins wow the setback fins of uh, the early 
70s with super deep concave running all the way through it so that it felt like you were on a a rocket sled. You know, I dream of Jeannie when Anthony Mm -hmm. Nelson gets in the rocket sled and goes, whoa, Jeannie, you're in there with me. Now, that concave, because I can kind of see it in the video here a little bit, but... Oh, listen, by the way, this also has really soft rails. I was about to say. was a reason for me originally, um, 12 years later, getting uh, Malcolm Campbell to build his Bonza with super uh, soft rails. Because I said to him, if what you're saying is true about Mm -hmm. these five fin configurations being so great, then I want only the fins to do the talking. Yeah. And it's similar to this board here, the code 76. I only want the fins with the concave generating so much speed to be able to pivot like a single fin, but with small twin fins. And it gives a little bit of, of forgiveness to the softer rails. Like you, like you said, you let the fins do the talking. And that concave, does that go right to the rail or is there a bit of flat section before you go into the, uh, the concave? There's a reduction of concave, but it's not a deep valley. It's basically right through. Okay, nice. Um, and is that board as light, uh, lightly glassed as the original? Yeah. Nice. Yep. So it will be a because that was like one of the lightest boards. Those two fours on the deck, right? Two four ounces yep. and single four on the bottom. It might end up being more of an El Destructo board, but then it comes down to how the surfer wants to ride it. Right, and then that led you to the Code seventy seven, basically, where Fitzy That's was right, like, because right. when when Fitzy uh, brought me in, he went, yeah. "Kid, you're ripping, but you're all over the joint," and uh, <laughs> he went. Here, try this. So he put me on just the classic uh, double ender, round pin, uh, 6-2, and uh, straightened me out. And went, I want you to start really appreciating uh, surfing contests as uh, an opportunity to improve your surfing during those 20, 25 minutes. Mm -hmm. And with that board, he built me the training version of it, which was a 6-5. A bigger one. uh, yeah, and that uh, that really sat well with me because I'd already been doing that with the seven uh, three. Uh, whenever I'd really want to surf this seven uh, six, uh, six going six to, rather. So, like, what is it about like going one going to a single fin and then and then a multi fin setup that helps your surfing? Um, and I'm curious, like. I think I remember reading somewhere that Potts did that before his 89 blitz. Like he, he did, he did more than that. Stuart well, Cadden built him yeah. a, a six channel, uh, brutal single fin. Yeah. Where, a bit like Tom Curran, how Tom used to train yes. in the, uh, in the foam up from Rincon when Rincon was pumping. Yeah. Tom would, tr- would just train doing foam climbs in the little closeouts on that flat beach. Yeah. I I think Kim Merrig was also on that training program. But, yeah, so Potts Potts had the, uh, I think he had half of December and all of January on that that, uh, Stuart Cadden board. Uh, And there was good surf at South Whale Beach, which is like a little wedgie wave. Um, So, of course, the big problem with thrusters was that twin fin surfers could never get used to the anchor. Right. Well, 
Well, Stuart Cadden solved that problem by putting him on a single fin so that the thruster felt like a twin fin. Right. Like exactly. a souped up twin fin. And that's when I ate humble pie through the end of that year. <laughs> or rather six months into that year. But also, um, you talk about with this board also how Fitzy had to go into the longer one so that in the competitions you could really let loose on the shorter one. That's like right. choking up on a bat, which was a, a uh, advice you had given to numerous surfers when you were coaching them. That's right. So Fitzy gave you that kind of concept, which I think is really cool. And I'm curious, like, it's funny, like how I think a lot of surfers forget that and should be doing stuff like what do you that. Mean, forget it. They, they never learned it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, to this day, yeah. Uh, tomorrow morning, Right. Uh, I'm starting on my eleven uh, one, and then uh, going down to the seven uh, six, then finishing on the six uh, five. I mean, it's Love elemental. It. It's elemental skip fry philosophy. Oh, I like that. Yeah, it just it feels like yeah, a lot of people would benefit from that, and yeah, I mean, uh, I think surfing is you know especially the competitive surfers, it would be, it'd be great to see them on the length, you know, and working out, out. I mean, didn't like a lot of the surfers used to do that when they went to Hawaii, they would ride their guns at Rocky point to get used to it. I mean, Jeremy Biles comes to mind. He used to ride like really long, long, his long guns in order to be, just get familiar with it. But it also, I think it helped their, their surfing. Well, that's right. Because as Pitsy said, when you drop down onto the smaller board, you are going to be drawing the lines of the 6.5, right. but with power like Dane Kealoa. I love that quote. That's awesome. <laughs> I mean, to this day, it, to this day, Dane is the king of power. Yeah, absolutely. And he seems to have, have landed on his feet and done pretty well, actually, no? Oh, that's good. That's really good. Yeah. I... So um, yeah. Paul Holmes is uh, writing a, an article on uh, Dane, and I've just submitted a, a, an anecdote of me and Dane, and it was such a pleasure to write it, and it's about big bells, but it uh, doesn't involve riding a wave at all, but uh, it was awesome. the greatest moment that I've ever experienced in the water. Really? <laughs> it's just so good. Before the heat started, oh, it's just fantastic. Do you want to elaborate on that? No, no, no. That's going to wait on. for it. <laughs> um, so now, what? Now, what? What can we expect next? Uh, the seventy-eight. Yeah, well, uh, the Fitzy Twinfin. You see, he came back. Yeah. To this morning star revisited, but uh, what he did was he dropped down his sunset gun, mm -hmm. refined it both in width and foil. Everything was like a mini sunset gun, almost like a Reno board that he took to Puerto Rico, mm -hmm. but Fitzy dropped his sunset gun down to a uh, 511 from a 7.4 and just went, here, ride this and wow. get used to it. And he said, it's not going to be very forgiving, but you've got to get used to uh, making the ride. Um, the other thing he said to me was, you know, you're going to feel unstable on your first ride. Yeah. But the judges don't know that. You know, you're going to be overpowering it, but the judges don't know that. So that by the time you finish a heat, 
you're going to be in prime, whereas the other surfers, when they finish their heat, they're going to be getting a bit sluggish. Mm. Basic. I'm curious, I have to ask, are you going to shape the board that took your eye out? Oh, it's a funny thing you said that. Mm. Uh, I've been in touch with Ronnie Woodward just today. <laughs> and, uh, and he's super jazzed to uh, see where I go with it. Um, he's going to attempt to build the board from memory just wow. so he can remember it. And then he said, I'll just ship it over. No and way. Uh, you can see what you think. And now it's either going to look as it did or it's going to look like a sunny board uh, eight years later, seven years later. Yeah. Eight years later. It's now, going to be, uh, it's going to be, again, it's cathartic. It, it's uh, it's going to have a leash. You know, connecting, connecting with magic hands again. <laughs> yeah. How cool. He, that he is a freaky intellectual when it comes to building a board, when it comes to life perspective, when it comes to knowledge of women, my goodness. <laughs> I mean, he's such a gentleman, but he's got that. It's got quality. that sense of knowing when a feminine touch is required, mm-hmm. either in a surfboard or in speaking to a woman. Mm. Lovely fella. That, that brings me to the next question. How do you think feminism has turned out 30 years later from, or uh-huh. <laughs> 20 years later from litmus? You know, um, Lenny Bruce. Yep was uh, he couldn't get a gig on TV anymore in the late 50s. So uh, Hugh Hefner started up Playboy TV, mm-hmm. basically for him. And in this little segment with the bunnies floating around, Hefner goes, um, so what do you think about this? And it was just a really, it, it begged a satirical response. Yeah. And Lenny just went, well, you know, I could never sat. I could never satirize the obvious. <laughs> Isn't that the classic quote? Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, there's so much in surfing that requires statement, not the satirical. Right. One one last thing I'm curious if you know, this is more for my own curiosity. I've I've just been turned on to I just read this really great article on uh Kim McKenzie. Are you familiar with her? Mm. She used to get as much uh mainstream TV coverage as Midget Farrelly and Nat Young in the early 1970s. Yeah, even though they were world champions and she wasn't, because her lifestyle is the lifestyle that Kong borrowed. Yeah. Yeah. In, totally. uh, in an early fisherman. Like she's like so cool. Like I've just been yeah. reading about her and like, I don't know how no one has like really done a proper profile piece on her or made a movie of her life even. Like, hey man, it's a bit like Linda Devoli. Yeah. Thing. Totally. Or LD. Judy, Judy Trim. Even. Why she's the queen of San Diego, although she's never lived there. Yeah. 
or Judy Trim, I was reading about and like, oh my God, like there's someone well, who's well, Judy Trim at Dy Point yeah. when she was uh, just a teenager used to demolish the men. Yeah, she was she was invited to the Duke, one of the first Australians. Well, yeah, I forgot that. Like I uh, I've been re you know, I watched that girls can't surf movie and um, you know, and just it's been like, oh my god, like there's so much interest, so many interesting stories that have Missed not yet to be as well. Absolutely. That I'm like, oh my God, what the fuck? Like <laughs> there's so much cool Listen, shit. To give you an idea yeah. of uh, the surf movie Girls Can't Surf Made. Yeah. When Jack and I did um, A Deeper Shade of Blue, mm-hmm. we finished the film. And then played it. It was three yeah. hours long. We and we yeah. went. But we've got to cut fifty percent. Yeah. What are we going to do? Girls can't surf. They finished the film. Yeah. And then they looked at what they hadn't got. Yeah. Which was American surfing. Yeah. Um, I mean, basically saying it started with us. It's just yeah. such horseshit. Oh my god. I mean, I grew up. I grew up when Joyce Hoffman yes. was as big as Phil Edwards. Mm-hmm. She and was huge. Watch Makaha um, with ABC Sports and watch Joyce Hoffman ride the foam at the beach when getting to the beach was, you know, cool. And yeah. the camera would zero in on the footwork rather than the, uh, I yeah. don't know, Joyce Hoffman, yeah. man. Well, I, I just think like that movie could be a series. It should have been like a Netflix series almost because there's so much there. Um, you know, even like Pauline Menser, like her world title is like probably far more gnarly than almost any other surfer's world title. You know, well, I was there or- when I was there when she was walking down at Lackanau and her hip dislocated. Oh. Oh. And then she went out and won the heat. It's fucking gnarly, gnarly stuff. And you're like, Bondi doll, mate. Yeah. Like that shit to me is just, I, I've been enamored with it quite uh, lately. And I'm just like, oh my God, this is stuff that needs to be told. Like, uh, it's so damn inspiring. And just you know, there really- is an interesting thing about the prize money section and how they uh, didn't get any money. <sighs> it's so messed up. We didn't get any money either. No one got that. money. No one got money. That was the thing. It was always it was always top heavy. Yeah, of course. You know, you had to you know pay for Graham Cassidy, you know, and his nice lavish lifestyle. Well, Sid, <laughs> Sid had his heart in the right place. Yeah, but uh, um, let's just say there'll be a spot in in my book when it comes for Sid. Interesting. Well, uh, any. Where can our listeners find the Heinlein and, and your boards? And can you just talk briefly how they'll be able to order these? And you're making limited batches, correct? Yeah, only 10. Only 10 only per year. one size. And uh, they just have to look up hindline.com and, and that'll be uh, easy peasy. And they're just going to have to wait for stuff to come down the line as the years progress, basically. And yeah, no, exactly. Um, But the first five uh, towards uh, being done. So 
Have you it's sold through them yet? Because I'm about to get into the next batch. Are they, uh, how many are still available at the moment? Twos and threes, no more. Amazing. All right. Oh, man. Derek, but when it think, comes down to it, yeah. uh, this is only for the surfer who wants to uh, just think about the history of surfing when he's having a normal surf. Yeah. And, and not thinking about modern surfing when he's having a normal surf. To try and figure out what Michael Peterson was thinking about when he rode a board like the uh, Code 73. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. How he got that jitterbug style to get it working. Why was he doing that? What was the Why functionality, was basically? Yeah. Well, that's that's just it, right? Like it's the the boards help. Like we all have our innate style, but the boards can really contribute to it. You know, and that's where that's why surfers had such diverse styles early on, because you had a wide range of boards that required them to do certain things you know now the boards are so effortless and so you just you just go like that's why a lot of the styles not saying people don't have style but there's a very homogenous style out there for sure yeah don't don't forget about the uh the the uh necessity of uh developing your own style based upon the beach you grew up surfing back then because very few people went over the hill yeah it's a bit like Italian city states before the Black Death. Exactly. You Everyone stayed had, where you were. Yeah. And you didn't have the movies and everything like so widespread. And so you couldn't copy those things. You you had their well, own local style. This is this is also the greatest moment in my uh uh beach life watching surfing when BK turned up for the uh, 74 surf about and came 23rd out of 24. But <laughs> I got to watch him ride two foot alley rides because i'd only ever seen the surf films yeah and he was the greatest surfer on the planet ahead of lopez just because of what he used to do at sunset yeah and to watch him at two foot alley was exactly as good as watching him at 12 foot sunset on screen i went home i remember going home it was way better than coming last in my uh, heat against cole smith (laughs) <laughs> that's epic that's it is there's something to be said about that getting to see some of the best hey, in your home like, um, yeah time to go i'd like to do this again sometime uh, maybe we can do, do it, it through my day and your night i think we can do that next time and this is really all my fault for getting the timings wrong no this is good man i really appreciate it derek thank do you, you mind so if much. i just flip through the screen and head down to the kitchen and get a Come- bite to eat Come on, man. We'll make some uh, we'll make some turkey bacon for you. Here we go. <laughs> there we go. Donna Thanks, says Tom. hello. Cheers, Derek. Appreciate it so oh, much. Bye. All right. I'll be in touch and we'll um, Thank you. and we'll connect. Uh, we'll do this again really soon, all right? Yeah, I would like that. Me too. All right. Ciao, I'll ciao. talk to you later. Cheers. Bye. Like we come from we can go and we want to night is young and so am I and we can just feel deep from our hearts 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. So, uh, that was Mr. Derek Hind on the Heinlein and various other topics as well. Um, you know, he started talking about like the styles being developed by, you know, your own local beach and, you know, very rarely someone went over the hill to the other side. I just started thinking about how our style was so influenced by Charlie Bernowich and the petting of the cat. Uh, it's one of our local surfers. Yeah, that we Jamie and I kind of got a little bit of his style, I think, in us. <laughs> it's totally true. Like, uh, you know, when when we were kids surfing, like you know the 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 best surfers at our beach, they they were the ones who you really wanted to surf like and kind of emulate. And even though we were fortunate enough to have access to a lot of VHS tapes because of Dad's store. Yeah. Um, and we, I, I know I definitely would, you know, would imagine Tom Carroll or Tom Curran when I was surfing, but mm-hmm. it was still more like I was like, yeah, but at the local beach, it more counts to surf like, yeah, Charles and Albert and stuff. Like that. Well, you would see that how they would work your local lineup and how they would get through certain sections and do certain turns. And it would just kind of, I feel like through osmosis almost, you would just naturally start to do it because you see it. Um, you know, and the, definitely, you know, the petting the cat thing, we uh, we totally got a bit of that, you know, just <laughs> for our listeners, if you're not familiar, you know, petting the cat is when you're kind of doing the uh, arm motion, kind of waving. Actually, Curran was really into that as well. Actually. True. There's that True. one um, around the world in 80 waves. Yes. Uh, he's surfing at the Coke contest and he's trying to make that long, fast section. Yes. <laughs> but, it was, but it was also like they, they like, it was kind of like being at school. You want to, Sure, you might want to emulate a pop star or an actor or something, but you also trying to be like the cool kids. Yeah. But but now with such access to seeing whoever you want to see, I I wonder if young people still emulate or try to to ape the hotshots at the their break, or if they're doing it more like what's online, what they see. Probably more what's online. I imagine I see a lot of kids who look like John John a bit more. You know, they have that front arm that's kind of down a little bit. And, you know, I see a little bit of that, you know, and you have like Griffin Colapinto who surfs like Joel Parkinson and, you know, and, uh, you know, freaking um, you can see like even like um, what's it? uh, Jagger Bartholomew, Wayne, Wayne Rabbit Bartholomew's son surfs like Jordy Smith. You know, it's it's Mm. interesting kind of you can kind of see the influence, but 
people from totally different breaks in totally different uh, countries, and yet their style is very similar. Um, so I think that was interesting. I also love like the, in the conversation with Derek, what I really enjoyed was talking about like these fracture points or these offshoot points where board could design and surfing could, could have gone and imagining those possibilities, right? Like how cool to think like, what if people just stayed on the single fin or what if Derek's, you know, board with like the little side wings, you know, kind of took off, where would that take surfing? Or that's when it, he, but do you guys didn't really discuss where they would end up? Did you? No, we didn't. We didn't discuss where, you know, but just more like that there's possibilities of where they could go. And it's fun to imagine that. Yeah. And like we, Tyler, Tyler Yeah. Oh, he says like he liked to go, or he once said, you know, he goes back to, you know, pre net young and just imagines what would happen if shortboarding never happened, but not mm. just trying to keep, longboards in the 60s but just say what would happen if you, you just kept going longboarding how could you just yeah. make it better and better and better and go down that road there yeah. it is fun to think of all those things yeah you know uh, i i mean and we talked about like briefly like i mentioned like how i just love to fantasize about going back in time and what it would be like to surf to have like the surfing style now and what would people think of that and what that style would look like on those boards even you know, how much would that, I mean, it'll be interesting to see people buy these boards and I wonder if anyone will collect all of them and to see how these boards affect their style and, and their, their attitude towards surfing or how they approach a wave. Cause these boards are, are not forgiving. No, no. And well, that, that's, I mean, one thing I want to ask is um, trying to, I know I could go to the website actually yeah. to find out all this stuff. Um, I was going to say, you know, when he said 10 a year, is that yeah. 10 per year? Per like model. That, per 10, model, 10, 10 model. per model, um, basically. You know, he didn't do 10 models per year. Um, he It was more um, 10, 10. He's only doing limited edition 10 of each model. And he said that, like, at the very end, he said, this is for the surfer who wants to try to feel what they were feeling back yeah. then. Almost like using it as a kind of um, time a reenactment. Machine. A time machine. Yeah, so it kind of like going to like a, yeah, just a, a real virtual experience for what you would feel back then. And I remember Joel Tudor once said a long time ago, he wanted to feel what the surfers in the 60s and 70s were feeling on that equipment. But then he said it's not, for modern surfing like it, i was wondering is it just a historical tour or is it meant to have some influence on where we go i think it's there? a historical tour i think for derek it's a uh a, a bit of a stroll down memory lane for him uh, a chance to revisit his his life um i think it's an opportunity for surfers to try to learn how to ride these boards in a certain way and try to get that feeling of what that time period was like. I think he would, he would probably not, and I don't want to speak for Derek, but I imagine he would not be stoked seeing someone try to surf it in a modern way. Like you see some people ride like some fishes and some other boards, you know, more classic boards and they're forcing the boards to do something they're not really meant to do, you know, or they're trying to turn them in a certain style that 
you know, like they're, they're turning off the back foot, like you would a thruster and not you engaging the whole rail. Like, I think mm. he wants people to ride them how they were designed to be ridden basically, as opposed to forcing them to do things that, that, you know, that today we are standard maneuvers maybe. Although, but what about, would, would he be against or would you be against <laughs> if like people did like what they've done with the mini Simmonses in that they've taken a, a board that you know, supposedly, you know, Bob Simmons, you know, had actually ridden mm -hmm. uh, you know, a very short twin fin, you know, rectangular board, but if doing stuff on it that, you know, wasn't you wouldn't do back then. Well, I think um, the Simmons is slightly different you know, because that board originally was, was much bigger and, you know, and it was meant, you know, that's the surfing of then was not even close to what they are now. And if you watch Richard Kenvin surf those boards, like he's doing beautiful turns, but uh, Bob Simmons wasn't doing those turns, but in Derek's age, you could do these maneuvers and do these turns, uh, to a certain extent. And I think, I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I mean, it just, I mean, Derek was doing carving three sixties, you know, he was doing some pretty outrageous surfing. And I also think these boards are really going to limit what you can do, to be honest. I, I don't think people are going to be able, I think they're going to be pretty unforgiving boards uh, and they're not going to be easy to surf. And so I don't, I think people won't. It's like, you know, like I ride my long fish, right? Like I can't, I'm not really doing airs or anything. I'm not forcing it out of its natural rail line or rail flow. At least I'd like to think so. <laughs> but, um, but then like when you're talking about fracture points, yeah. like sure, surely the idea of a fracture point is to go back and rather than just get stuck at that juncture to right. say where you could take it. So you're still progressing, not necessarily yeah. surfing it like you surf a thruster, but to progress it further down the line. Maybe, maybe see what do... else could be done with it maybe see what else can be done with it, but maybe even like doing certain modern maneuvers, but in it with the certain rail line and the certain flare of that era, you know, there, there are multiple ways to hit a lip, you know, I think, you know, you could go really squared off with your back foot or you could go really hard off the rail. Um, you know, there are different ways you can do a cutback even, you know, it could be more drawn out or it could be tight. And I think you can experiment with those maneuvers, um, but, you know, withholding, but, but also like trying to make it look like it fits the board instead of forcing the board into a position or doing something that it doesn't, it's not meant to do. You know well, yeah, what I'm saying? I guess, but yeah, what he's written before or said before is, you know, like the, the technique needed to turn certain boards or to make them work ends up you know like governing your style but yeah. but you might still end up making progress yeah you might be doing the you know the 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 you know uh mp jitterbug as he said it you know to get some speed but then like maybe you're you're doing a really long floater with it but like jitterbug long floater would look kind of cool <laughs> yeah <laughs> well that's i mean that's the other thing it's like you know the purpose talking about the purpose of this but i wonder what the influence or if this will have much influence, because he's a bit like, you know, uh, Apple or Steve Jobs in a way in that, you yeah. know, like had some, ma he's had a couple of major, what's the word, you know, he's influenced a couple of major tectonic shifts, you know, like 
yeah, if if it weren't for him, I don't think you know fishes would have made such a comeback and then had such, not just a comeback, but have become such a. a, a oh God, I can't think of the word. A thing, you know, <laughs> you know like before before he started writing Skip Price, fish. You know, the only you only heard about fish if you actually knew about the history a bit. And then the same thing with you know free friction. All of a sudden, everybody's right all over the world. It's a whole thing to write fitness. Will this be like you know if, if another the, the iMac, another the shift. iPhone? Is this the iPad? You know, or the iPod or whatever? <laughs> is this going to be another thing where people not just write these boards, but start to go back and get people to try to design their favorite surfboards throughout their life? I wonder if that's going to be a thing now. I think that's a really cool concept. I would love to see that. I, I mean, that would be fucking kind of, I mean, you see it a little bit already. Like Simon Anderson do, does a ton of replica, you know, of his thruster, original thrusters, right? Um, you've, I imagine, you know, I don't know, but I think you can get like some original, you know, hot buttered, you know, Terry mm. Fitzgerald type shapes. So I imagine you can, Um I think the idea of making boards hard to surf or making them not as forgiving, I think that's a kind of a cool concept. Uh, that's in itself. already definitely. I mean, I think Joel Tudor got the ball rolling on that, you know, when, and uh, when he, he told the story about 20 something years ago of how he was at a, a dinner table or something. And Mike Diffenderfer was like a uh, several spots down from him. And he took a, heavy glass of beer or something and pushed it down slid it down the table towards joel and the it, it lurched forward and then it kind of paused and then lurched forward again because <laughs> the swashing around slushing around of the beer yeah and he said never underestimate the the benefits of uh, weight and momentum and mm. it was basically you know like i remember surfing your hannon you know 20 years ago and uh you know jerry saying oh you get off that log here try my new board you know and at the time if you surfed on a a board from the 60s that was really heavy people did say like why would you want to do that and and now as a result of joel and his ilk you know lots of people are riding more difficult boards and the whole yeah yeah but I yeah. was wondering if people are going to start to have more intimate experiences and actually try to find a shaper who can go back and replicate your first board, your your Ooh. your board that you lost your off the lip virginity with, perhaps <laughs> your board that you rode your first like on your first trip to like where there's what, bigger. Wave. What board would that be for you? What would you want to? Well, if you could go back. So I've asked this question, actually. This was part what, of my. The board that I lost my virginity. Wait, on. wait, wait. Well. No, 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 not yet. No, no, no. Well, uh, that would be that would be pretty recent then. No, <laughs> but um, no, I've asked this of other uh, people when I do interviews. Sometimes I've been like, if you could go back into your quiver, your history of boards, which board would you want to bring back, you know, and ride? Uh, and like, I love asking people that question because I think that's a really fun and t very telling of a person in that era, what their favorite era of surfing is. Uh, so what, what board would you want to bring back to life? If you could, if 
you could uh, bring it back to life, you know, a la Frankenstein or whatever, or, mm-hmm. you know, uh, what board would you bring back? I think it's difficult because um, like for someone like Derek, like he's, he's still like I, I looking at pictures of him. He looks body weight. Looks like he hasn't changed his entire it life. It hasn't. No. Hasn't changed. He's still surfing at a, a, a very frequently. So he's yeah. super fit. Like I feel like the, the boards that I'd want to go back to were boards when I was, uh, you know, a lot shorter and a lot lighter. So <laughs> like if you yeah, could if, be that weight, let's say if you could be at that weight and that level, what board would that be then? I think the JP. The, um, really? The JP? Six, 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 green and yellow JP. Because that was my first high-performance shortboard where I actually knew how to surf it. And that was the first board. So, I would have thought getting, the Michael Barron or the Elwood. Well, um, <laughs> don't bore people too much with the, like total uh, familiar detail. But the... The re- and this maybe people can relate to this. So, you know, the, you know, when you first start surfing, you're just trying to figure out how to stand up and then eventually, you know, ride green water. Um, and you, you're not really doing, especially if you've watched other surfers and watch videos and stuff, you, you, you can't really create or express yourself or go to places the way you want to. You know, it's yeah. kind of like if someone learns guitar, they want to start jamming, but they can't. So it's going to take a while. But then, it was, you know, the second after a year of surfing on Long Island when it was just weekends and usually it wasn't even every weekend. It was a very slow progress that first year. But then in the second summer of surfing, as you remember, I went out to the Pasquit Surf Camp for two weeks yeah. where you're surfing San Onofre, which if you're a light person, you can ride a shortboard and it's super easy to learn and work on your stuff. And it's you have 300 yards to like just... You have 100 yards to get to your feet, another 100 <laughs> yards to get out onto the face, and then another 100 yards to just practice perfecting your cutbacks. And, and so I came home from that two weeks, and it was like a, it was a huge leap in my own performance. And I came home, and I didn't have a good board at the time. I had you know, a really big, corky cool stick, which, which was fine, but it was a very big board to learn on. And then I broke it, and then um, went and got the 6-6-JP, the John Pre- John. John Prebum, James is the son, right? Or was it the other way yeah. around? No, no, James is his son. Yeah. James' son, John Prebum, Pre- Pre- which was like the, the, the board to ride in Long Beach at the yeah. time. Like yeah. everybody out in the water had a JP. Anyway, <laughs> got that a 6 6. And literally, like the day after I got it, a big hurricane swell came. I don't say big, you know, but like six to, six to nine foot faces offshore winds paddle super easy waves to ride and it was the first time i was actually able to kind of surf or imagine that i was surfing like a real surfer anyway that's the long answer Mm, i like that that's a good one yeah the jp was a was a cool looking board it was cool what uh have you got one in mind? You have so many boards. How could you remember them? Uh, I remember a lot. Uh, there are a couple that stick out to me that that are performance markers. Uh, I had this um, uh, Brian Tudor board that he made me. It was like the first board and it was just, and I drew, did like a little cartoon drawing on it to feel like this is like 95 
you know, and the craze when Slater drew on his boards and everything and the board just oh, looked like, <laughs> yeah, with the opaque markers. And it looked like, looked like Slate, one of Slater's boards to me, just the outline and the way the nose was at that time period. And I was just like, oh, and I felt really good on it. Um, that was the board actually that we took around uh, the U.S. I think I was like 17. 18 when we drove around the US uh, took that board I remember having a really couple really good sessions in Seaside and Cabo uh, when we were down there or Todos Santos the the town and then um, the surf prescriptions I had in South America in like 99 was a really good board 66 and that board I just felt really good on uh, and then um, but like apart from them just being good like what's the what's the emotional like you know, why would you? Because they were so maneuverable. Like they were 18 and three quarters, two and a half thick, which was pretty thick for then. Um, but I just felt like I could do anything on them. Like they just, wherever my mind went, they went. I was surfing really good. My, I was like in, in a good, I remember seeing like certain performance you know, lifting from a certain plateau and going to the next plateau in my surfing. You know, there's like a big performance lift. different from your boards right before the, the yeah, boards came. Out. They were. So like the, the Brian Tudor was, was definitely, uh, uh, different than, than some of the boards I had just Are you the way name names or <laughs> no, no, it just, you know, I had like an HIC and I had, uh, you know, um, a Yinger and, you know, and they, they were good boards, oh. but, but, uh, they, this one just for some reason really, felt like awesome uh no but but what about this, oh also then? the like, fluid express the fluid express was pretty good too oh yeah was so derek says that when you asked him how you know how he knew what they were you know and he mm. said one of the ways was you know he could go and look at old magazines yeah and see the template and work it out from the magazines which is interesting i've read about people doing that especially in the old days where yeah. they would get a picture of a surfboard from a magazine and then scale it up. And that's mm -hmm. how they worked out the dimensions. Um, but he also said he remembers. And like yeah. when he's shaping them, he can remember. Like he, he probably, well, one, they didn't go through boards like they used, like they do nowadays with surfers. You know, those boards were built to last. And that was like the board you rode. That was it. You know, you didn't have like a full quiver. You traveled one or two boards, I think, for but a lot could of those. You, but could you remember, like if, could you really remember exactly what that Brian Tudor board, the, how the rail was different from what other boards that you've had? I kind of vaguely, vaguely, I smoked a lot of pot. So I, might, I destroyed my memory. So, but um Tarek didn't do drugs and wasn't much of a drinker either. So I imagine he has a lot of brain cells intact. Um, but also he's just so intense. But I, I remember certain rails for sure. They're like that. I definitely, I don't know if it would be exact, but I kind of remember how the rail feel, felt with the Brian Tudor. It was quite a domed deck. And so it went down to a pretty thin, thin rail, but pretty soft along the um you know the midsection and entry entry and then towards the tail it got nice and hard i remember having this lynn shell uh hic and it was like really hard rail 
like all the way up to mid, you know, the mid of the board. Like I remember making comments like, oh, you could shave your shave your face with these rails, you know, mm-hmm. they were that sharp. And so I kind of remember that. I remember the bottom contour because I remember going through with it with the with Lynn Shell over over that. And I imagine like some of those boards, Derek, maybe talk to some of the shapers. And so certain conversations maybe stick out. I don't know. I mean, the memory is a funny thing, you know, it's, 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 it's always pretty fluid and it's not as reliable as we'd like it to like to believe. So, (laughs) you know, you got to wonder a little bit, but if it is how he imagines it, yeah. I mean, and cool thing is Derek's going to ride some of these boards. He's going to get back on a, a thin board to make sure that they're, they're, uh, you know, that they're, you know, um, to make sure that they're the same feel, basically, they're a consistency. And that's the thing, because he's... Or continuity, he a, he, continuity. Yeah. He's, he made a vow, didn't he, not to ride boards with fins on them. Yeah. And he's pretty much, he's very uncompromising kind of guy. Like, right? yeah. he's, he's stuck to that. He did. He totally did. You know, did so, you ever did you ever read Jack McCoy's anecdote about that? I vaguely remember. Where the they were this was this was after, you know, he'd been surfing, you know, without fins for a while. And um Jack's panning out and Derek comes by on a longboard, like a classic old yeah. well, maybe oh, I forgot the details. Maybe it was a unusual board, but it had a fin on it. Mm-hmm. And um he, he paddles back out and and Jack, you know. Kind of jibes him and said, "Hey, I thought you said you weren't gonna, you know, you committed to not riding fins." And he's like, "Oh yeah." And then uh, he turns the board over and surfs the rest of the session uh, on the bottom. <laughs> so cool. God in, bless. In which, and here's here's a not really a stump, but like, okay, yeah. we which real legendary surfer famously never waxed his board. I don't know this one. Pete Peterson, Preston really? Peterson. Really? You know, they're like the really old timer guy, you yeah. know, from the old days who did, you know, the, all the, uh, all the lifeguard stuff and the water ski stuff. Mm-hmm. He's a West Coast champion and surfed sunset in the sixties. Yeah, in his in his sixties maybe or in his fifties, and he never waxed his board. And like, how is that possible? maybe he roughed up the deck a little bit with sandpaper i don't know maybe, maybe there was something with that that's a, that would be interesting to find out well, that's a challenge that could be another yeah. maybe the next thing after um fins free surfing could do uh wax, wax free wax free <laughs> well um speaking of stump my bro you, you want to hop right to it let's hop right to it you know what time it is it's time for Stump, Stump my, my bro. bro. All right. Are you ready? Yeah, I think so. All it's right. Go first this time. Yeah, sure. Okay. I've got a few here. Um, who is Derek surfing against when he lost his eye? Uh, was it Shane Horan? Nope. Oh. But Shane Owen came and visited him in the hospital. Yes, he, he did. Very pleased that he did that. Such a such a mensch. <laughs> I remember. Okay, this is what I do remember from the story: yeah. is that after 
you know, he fell off and the, the, the leash, you know, made the board snap back and hit him in his eye. And like, he's, we got up and he felt his eye and it felt a bit funky. And he thought, all right, he didn't realize how bad it was, but he, yeah. he knew it was bad. And I read that he, he decided to paddle back out and he thought it would freak out his competitor. Well, he just sat on them. He wouldn't, he knew that, that, so the surfer he was, he was surfing against was Mike Savage and, and he is South African surfer and he went and sat on him because uh, he knew he could still get a decent score to beat Derek and Derek wasn't going to let him win basically. And while he's sitting there, his eye is gelatinous and oozing out of his eye socket, freaking the guy out. <laughs> And then after some convincing by Paul Nod, uh, you know, and a few other people, he went to the hospital. <laughs> Can you imagine like, I'm just going to sit on this guy, just having that, that level of competitiveness and that determination. Mm. That's, that's crazy. <sighs> I, I guess if you're a pro surfer, you it, to get to that level, you're uh, well, yeah. I can't imagine pretty... any pros today. Well, maybe, maybe Gabriel. Not. Gabriel, maybe I could see doing that. That's about it. I can't imagine Gabriel being scathed. He's yeah. like, there's no imperfections on his body. Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> all right, your turn. Well, well, I've only got one, so maybe okay. you should throw all yours. Okay. At me. All right, <laughs> I'm gonna throw them all at you. So what I was going to do is read a few of Derek's top 30 reviews and have you guess which surfer he's reviewing. Oh, that might be fun, especially <laughs> for anyone over 40 who, who might, uh, you might want to play along and see if they're ready. Yeah, I thought this would be a really fun one. Okay, this first one. Chicks Diggum scored a major deal from Ox Oxbow, a French company, because of his face. Often wears an elephant man mask to give the truth the rest. Life's bad when an innocent when innocent uh, when innocent glance can lead to outrageous sexual advances. His surfing is not as flawless as his looks. Actually, his surfing can be ugly as sin. But there you go, yin and yang. Far more attractive when he slows it all down and performs with his limbs in harmony, as was the case against Rob Bain at Lacknow in Perfect Lefts, the best heat of this surfer's life. A mean competitor, and that's a real beauty. Stuart Who, Bedford Brown. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love that one. You know, like uh, I, I watched his surfing on the on the EOS website. I thought his decent style actually you know? it wasn't bad. You know, yeah. it was working man style. You know, it, it wasn't wasn't pretty, but it wasn't. I didn't think that ugly. All right, this one's a good one too. <laughs> I only did three of these, okay? Um, at the Billabong Pro, in a Neolithic blood rush, this surfer was ready to murder a judge. Any judge. He'd been burned. He could feel it. And it was a hot flush from his head to his toe. The rage was, in, was new and all-consuming. The future, he vowed, would be different. But he'll need preparation, some slight modifications. For starters, a solo trek in the outback of Cayucas, reading Dostoevsky and Strindberg along the way, then destruction of all personal wealth, assets, security, and social standing. Then just as all seems lost, except the painful kicks to the head as career inspiration. To, to, 
to my way of figuring, to my way of figuring this surfer, this point could be primed for just such an odyssey. This time next year, a madman in tatters, ready to die. But I don't know. Could be a little extreme. Maybe he'll want to try another way. Is this a surfer who may one day have uh, taken part in the Billabong Odyssey, perhaps? And uh, Quite possibly. Is it Michael Snips Parson? Yes! Oh, good one! <laughs> good guess. That is That was really good. It wasn't a guess. I no, do not, not a guess. You know, good, good answer. Sorry. All right, last one here. Last year, despite winning the Hang Loose Pro, the man who once hunted and discovered the meaning of life in an unsuspecting can of Heinz alphabet soup fell apart. A price was paid for covering, hiding, and possibly smothering himself in his own mystery. His quote in the ASP media quite, quite was a toxification of fate. I go my direction and the system goes all over the place. If parallels occur, then all well and good. But my course is my own. Trouble? Surfers must worship the system, even if only in mockery. After all, did the pharaohs not face the pyramids north for a reason? Did the druids not send naked maidens counterclockwise around the totems? Anger the heavens and the universe will simply explode. Everyone knows that, but he chose his own way. Wrath descended, seven straight first round losses. Supernature got to him at the Billabong Pro as Shane Horan knocked him back knocked him into back 14 who is this surfer this the guy who derek was talking about had a good you'd feel like him when you're doing a layback maybe (laughs) glenn Glenn fourth and winton you know it mr x (laughs) oh you are on a roll with these (laughs) these are fun to read (laughs) they're pretty good after like so was a lot of that a quote from Glenn, or was that mostly Derek who was writing? Derek, the Derek was in. For, oh, he was. Well, I think the yeah, I go my my direction. The system that goes. Part, yeah, I think that yeah. was his. I think it was Glenn's. I think that was Glenn Winton's. Um, <laughs> maybe, All right. Maybe this this comment uh, inspired his uh, master's win years later. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now your turn. Right. Well, as you know, Derek was one of like the first surf coaches. Yeah. Um, I think he was a coach for Billabong and for Rip Curl teams. Yeah. And um, and your friend Jamie Brizick. Yes. Uh, was was on the Rip Curl team and uh, was coached by Derek. And you know, I think they got to be quite close. He mentored and, them. What's that? Yes. He mentored yeah. Jamie into writing, basically. Mm. Well, um. It was Jamie was wrote in one of his articles about how uh, Derek wasn't really competing at this point anymore. You know, he's retired. But then when they were in a contest out at uh, Margaret River, mm-hmm. Derek decided to enter in the trials. It just surprised everyone. <laughs> and they were like, whoa, really? You know, and like this old guy. And but uh, and Jamie was like, but, you know, like we knew he's a hot surfer, but you didn't think he'd do something like this. And he entered the trials, as did Jamie, because Jamie wasn't in the top 30, so they probably had to compete a yeah. lot in the trials. And anyway, the two of them made it to the finals. Of the trials. Of the trials. Yes, yeah. of the trials. 
And Jamie said Derek was surfing masterfully throughout, but surfing in a really unique way. Like wasn't, and he was wondering, he's like, he's either going to completely bomb in this contest or win the whole thing. Yeah. So they make it to the finals. And um, I think Jamie was actually doing better. I'm not sure. I think he was doing better than him. And he's, I think he's thinking, right, I'm, I'm going to win this. Anyway, a big set comes and they're, they're both paddling for it. But I think Jamie's got the position. Mm-hmm. But then Derek says something to Jamie, which completely throws him off. And Jamie's kind of like hesitates for a minute. Derek doesn't, keeps going, catches the wave, wins the finals, um, ends up going a few more rounds into, into the main event, which is pretty hot shit. Yeah. But you, you know, like what, <laughs> what he said to Jamie. <laughs> I don't. I mean, I can imagine like, do you really want this one? Or <laughs> I mean, it was interesting, but nothing, nothing terribly rude or anything, or or uh, purple or anything like that. Like, <laughs> I don't know, but I want to hear it now. <laughs> it's funny when because when you first hear it, you're like, yeah, so. But um, I, I might as well just read the whole quote. You said that. Yeah. So, you know, we, we both paddled out to meet it. And in the heat of hyper-focus and jockeying, Derek blurted out, give me this wave, James, and I'll buy you 15 beers. It was the detail that threw me off. Rather than think, fuck you, Derek, and defend my position, I pondered the 15 beers part. Uh, the notion of being quotable in frenetic moments. While he, of course, slithered to my inside, I lost he went on to win a few more rounds, but just <laughs> I love that. Just, just get him with confusion. <laughs> That's you know, confusion works, you know, and getting them to be like, what, what, fifteen, you know, because you start to think like fifteen dollars, fifteen something, you know, like fifteen. Wait, fifteen beers. Wait, what? Oh, it's too late. You've given that quick thought, you know, and fifteen beers is. A lot of beer. A lot of beers. <laughs> it's like if you if you watch Shang Chi, uh, the movie, it's quite good. And Aquafina, she distracts people when fighting because by saying uh, by singing Hotel California throws people off. So <laughs> confusion. <laughs> oh man, that was good. That was that was a really fun fun episode. I think. Um, I think we need to we should do some more interviews like that i think that'll be really fun mm-hmm. well we'll see what our listeners think should we do more more stuff like that let us know inquiring minds want to know <laughs> do we have listeners do people listen we do we do we do yeah yeah i mean we get paid for it you know on the commercials apparently <laughs> I can't hear the commercial whenever I listen to us. I never Spotify. hear them either, but I mean, hey, whatever. <laughs> All right. Well, um, for all our listeners, go check out the Heinlein. Uh, if you want to check out some cool boards and some strolls down memory lane for Derek. And um, we'll all see you on down the line soon. All right. Hope you enjoy. You. Can act real rude and totally removed, and I can act like an imbecile. I say, we can dance, we can dance, everything's out of control. 
Sunday Joint is an adjacent podcast to the Encyclopedia of Surfing on the Surf Splendor Network. Go to eos.surf for more information and to subscribe and support the Encyclopedia of Surfing. And don't forget to post your job for free at linkedin.com slash surf. That's linkedin.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply.